right, all right, all right. It's February 13th. That means 13 days ago, plus a month, we all did something. We all, maybe not all did something, but I think a big majority of us did something right around January 1st, 2022. Anybody have any idea what we do the first of the year? We get really, really optimistic about a lot of things. We start making promises to ourselves, our spouses, our kids. Hopefully you didn't bring God into this thing, but we start making these things called New Year's resolutions. And I don't know about you, mine are usually, I'm going to uh, eat better, I'm going to work out, I'm going to get into the best shape of my life. And it's usually like, I don't lie to myself every year, but uh, like every other year, I just flat out tell that lie to myself, like, hey, I'm really going for it this year. And I think there's probably a good chance that I am not alone in that. So it's February 13th. Is anybody still keeping track, still keeping up with their New Year's resolutions? Oh, my man, we got two people in the house. All right, three. The rest of us, we're going to need Jesus, okay? So I know what happens for me is I get get super excited about things. You may not know that. I get excited. I, I start planning everything out. I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to eat chicken, broccoli, and rice. And then two months from now, I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But that means you have to work out as hard as him. It might not work. And so uh, I get real excited. And I set all of these things in place. I'm going to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to spend an hour with the Lord. And then I'm going to go work out. And then before 7 o'clock, I'm going to be up. And I'm going to be the best dad I can be to these girls. And I'm going to help them brush their teeth. I'm going to help them floss. I'm going to help them get dressed. And so just by 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm already super fit, kind of fit, kind of not fit dad who has spent time with Jesus who is now being an awesome husband as well because now my wife doesn't have to worry about these things and so man for like three and a half days going into the new year like <laughs> January 4th looking pretty grim I'm uh, I'm waking up five o'clock I have to set the alarm clock across the room because if it's beside me that's just that's a joke if you wake up to that you are a better person than me so I go across the room, I trip on things getting there, I turn it off, and then I look back at the bed. I think, you know what, January is kind of cold in Arizona. Uh, you know what's not cold? That bed. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to like 15 more minutes of a little nap time, and then, you know, 7.30 rolls around, and I'm the worst, okay? Didn't work out, didn't spend time with Jesus, sure didn't help with the girls, horrible. The problem is, is I keep looking back. Instead of waking up, getting out of bed, getting my workout clothes on, going about my day, the problem is I looked back at the bed. The problem is with my diet is that there's a tub of ice cream in the freezer. Um, if that tub of ice cream was in that freezer, I'd weigh a lot less right now. That's, it's not my fault. I don't buy the groceries, okay? <laughs> what the problem is, is I keep looking back. And I think for a lot of us, when it comes to diet or exercise or whatever, we see a loaf of bread, we see carbohydrates, and all of a sudden, like, we're the artists formerly known as ourselves saying, let's get nuts, let's go crazy, and we eat the entire cake, right? That's not a Prince reference. That's a Sing 2 reference. If you have kids, you know what's up, all right? The problem is we keep looking back over 
and over and over in our lives with Jesus. We keep looking back to what Jesus has brought us out of. And that's exactly where we find the church in Galatia this morning. We are in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20 this morning. Uh, We're going to start with verses 8 through 11. Paul, in a very parental tone, continues. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to want, uh, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So we see, we will break this down in the different ideas that Paul is communicating this morning. But first and foremost, Paul is issuing an accusation towards this church of the Galatian people. He is saying, I am accusing you of something that you are doing because it is something that you have come out of. How does he do it? He reminds them. He reminds them of how they were before Jesus. We see this in verse 8. You used to belong to false gods, not deities, not big G gods, but little G gods. Not gods at all, but you used to belong to demonic forces. Why are you submitting yourself to that once more? Why do we submit ourselves to the influences of, of things that we may not perceive as demonic forces, but are certainly working to distract us from Jesus. What we'll see here is that this church in Galatia is going from a life in paganism into a life in Jesus. Paul is going from a life being a Jew and following the law and going to Jesus. And eventually they meet up in the middle. But he's saying, you have come out of these things. Why are you going back in? We may not be pagans. Maybe some of you were at some point. We're certainly all Gentiles. We may not have idols in our home, little golden statues that we worship every night before we go to bed. We may not pray to a deity that is outside of God. Hopefully we are not. But that doesn't mean that we don't worship idols in our lives still. What Paul is saying is, There's something else that has your influence right now. There's something else that is trying to drag you back into what you have come out of. I think for us, it may not be as simple as something that we put up on our mantle or our hearth in our homes. I think for us, we have all the distraction we need at our fingertips all the time. We have all the worship that we can muster for God going straight into a screen in front of us. And that's just one of many things that could be influencing us back into the lives that we once used to live in. So Paul reminds them where they were before Jesus. And then in verse 9, he reminds them who they are and how they are in Jesus. You want to combat the past, you remind people of where they are now. Now that you are God's and he knows you intimately, how can you give your life back to this influence of these fakes? Stop. These demonic forces are pushing you back under a law that is much like what you just came out of in paganism. Why would you put yourself back under that? Who was influencing you that you would actually want to do that with your life? You have tasted sweet, sweet freedom. Why would you then submit yourself to a yoke of slavery? You keep trading the wealth of the gospel for the poverty of the law. 
And then Paul reminds them of what they're stepping back into. This is a little bit of an obscure verse here in verse 10. But basically Paul is saying that you are observing special days like slaves and it will not substitute outwardly for an event that you are trying to find an inward experience from. See, when Paul says days and months and seasons and years, what he is referring to is under the Jewish law, the ceremonial law. You have to observe these days. You need to observe these days in these ways, and then we will worship Yahweh in these moments at this time in this way. He is reminding them, hey, you were pagans before I knew you. You had ceremonies that you had to follow that were just as strict as the Jewish people. You came out of that. Why are you now being influenced to go from here to Jesus back to these elementary ways in these days, these months, these seasons, into these ceremonies? You started off in your elementary ways in paganism. You found Jesus. Why are you now trying to go back? You have experienced life in Jesus. Stay in Jesus. And church, just as Paul is reminding the Galatians of who they used to be, who they are now, and what the road ahead of them looks like, if they continue down, we need the same thing. We need to constantly be reminded of the gospel. The fact that we have been saved, that all the sins that we've ever committed, when we give our lives to Jesus, we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him to save us, that all of that is washed clean. But we don't focus on our past sin because our past sin has been forgiven. Jesus didn't just die for a couple of your sins. He died for all of your sin throughout your entire life. And knowing everything that you would sin, everything you would do against God, he still chose to take the cross for you because of his love for you. So don't look back. Don't look back at those sins. Say, no, I'm just an addict. No, I'm just an alcoholic. No, I'm just a bad husband. No, I'm just a bad dad. No, I'm just, I'm a bad coworker. No, I'm just a bad person. I just make bad choices. I want you to know we are all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God, but we are all saved by grace through the work of Jesus. And we are not who we once identified as, but we are finding a new identity in Jesus. Your identity is no longer sinner, but it is saint. Your identity is no longer orphan, but it is son. It is daughter. It is no longer lost. It is found. It is beloved. You are loved. So don't look back and focus on all the things that happened in your past. Anytime an addict focuses on the thing that they're trying to break free from, it causes a trigger. And then you fall into a neurological pathway that leads you right back down the same path. And that's why relapse happens so much. Don't focus on the thing you're trying to get away from. Focus on the thing you're going towards. Don't look back. Press on. Look at Jesus. Run towards Jesus. Realize who you are in Jesus. And when you realize who you are in Jesus, you don't have to worry about the past that's behind you because when you're focused on Jesus, when you're running towards the cross, that sets your future. Galatians 4, 12-13. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. We see verses 12 to 13, an appeal, an appeal. 
started with an accusation, and then Paul leads in to an appeal. He says, hey, homeboys, we are on the same team, all right? You came from paganism, I came from Judaism. You had your laws, you had your structures, you had your broken systems that you had to follow. And what we did is we took a gift from God to keep us safe, to help make us righteous, and we turned that into a broken system. And what we started off as a gift became our curse. You know what? Through the miracle of the cross, and through the life and the sacrifice, in the resurrection of Jesus, now we have found ourselves going from paganism and Judaism in Jesus. We are now both team Jesus. No longer under a broken system, no longer under a structure that is oppressive that we can never live up to. Say, hey friends, we're both team bacon right here, all right? We are both team pork. What God has made clean, let us not call unclean. Let's cheers with that bacon. Let's eat those ribs. Let's have some pork chops. Let's be friends. Let's share this table. Here we have met in the middle at Jesus. We have put those things aside. Do not be influenced back into those things. And then verse 13, we see that Paul makes the most of a bad situation says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Now, Paul's in a bad spot. That's where we find him when he first encounters these churches in Galatia. We don't know what that ailment is. You can kind of read along in the book of Acts along with Paul's epistles, and there's really no reference, no commentary on what it is that Paul was going through at this time. But we do know that he was sick. And we do know that because of his sickness, he was kind of bound to Galatia. Being bound, what did Paul do? Well, he just made excuses. He just justified that he just really wasn't feeling up to uh, the way things were going in his life. It really wasn't uh, a part of his plan. It didn't line up with his New Year's resolutions of, I'm just going to get here, I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to move on. Uh, no, he just wasn't really feeling it, and so he just kind of sat on the bench and drank water until he healed up, and then, and then he went on doing what God actually wanted him to do. No. No, that's not what Paul did. Paul, finding himself in a bad spot, in circumstances that were certainly stacked against him, did not just sit on the bench during his time in Galatia. No, instead what he did is he took the gospel into a bad circumstance. Paul was in a bad way. Certainly we would justify for a lot of different people, oh yeah, it's, you know what, just, just get some rest during this time. Does Paul use that as an excuse to just take a break? No, he doesn't. Paul realizes that God is in control. Paul realizes that there's probably a reason that he is going through what he is going through, and instead of making excuses of doing what God has called him to do, he embraces the fact that God is in control, and he trusts in God's power and God's great orchestration, and he says, you know what? I'm here, and I'm sick for a reason. While I'm here, I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to preach the gospel that's changed my life. And we see pagans come to know Jesus. It is absolutely beautiful. Make the most of a bad situation. I know there's a lot of tough circumstances in this church right now. Let's not make excuses. Let's not get lazy. Let's not get tired. Let's not lose faith in what we believe. Let's put our trust in Jesus and trust that he can use any circumstance and bring the outcome for his good. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, 
We'll see that in our bad circumstances, when it's less us, and we have to rely more on the Spirit, that God will use it way more for His glory than if we ever try to go about it in our own strength. And maybe, just maybe, through whatever you're going through, maybe Jesus can bring somebody to Him. If not, maybe Jesus just gets more of you. And I know Jesus. I know He's just as happy with more of you. Let's lean into Him. Galatians 4, 14 through 18. And through my condition, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. And so we see we go from an accusation to an appeal, and now we have an affirmation from Paul to these Galatians. Verse 14, when he was sick, the Galatians received him, and they took care of him. In verse 13, or verse 15, he points them back. He says, remember when you accepted the gospel that I, re- that I preached to you? Do you remember when you received the Holy Spirit? Do you remember what that was like? What happened to that? Galatian church, have you so quickly forgotten the gospel? Have you so quickly forgotten the Holy Spirit that came to indwell within you, that you were supposed to be living out of You were so thankful. What happened to your sacrificial love? What happened to your goodwill toward me? What happened to your warm welcome? And then in verse 16, Paul's asking, Have the tables turned? Are you mad at me now for refocusing you on the gospel that saved you because you are so under the influence of these Judaizers who have come within the church and have twisted your perception of the gospel? Have you forgotten that it's all about the work of Jesus, that you could do nothing, and now you've said, No, it's about the work of Jesus, and now I have to earn it too. It's Jesus plus something, which, as we see through Paul, as he says over and over, equals nothing. I think as a church, we really, we really have to watch out for this. I think as a church, especially as a church plant, it's easy to get excited. It's easy to see the growth. It's easy to see God growing his church. It's easy to see people get saved. It's easy to see people get baptized and think, man, yes, we are on the right track. Let's keep going. And then eventually, somewhere down the road, through the influence of something, much like the Judaizers stepping into the church in Galatia, as Paul is setting them up, something happens. Something switches the focus. And instead of the first things remaining the first things, seeing the lost be found, seeing people without Jesus come to know Jesus, seeing marriages repaired and restored, seeing husbands love and serve their wives, seeing wives love and serve their husbands, seeing parents raising their kids to love Jesus, instead of focusing on each other and meeting each other's needs and meeting the need of the community around us, maybe 
somewhere along the way we get sidetracked. And I wish I could stand here and say that we're impervious to that, that we're going to be guarded from that. But the truth is, if we don't keep our focus on the gospel, if we don't keep the focus on lost people being found, if we don't keep the focus on us growing closer to be more and more like Jesus every single day, then there's a good chance that we could be an unhealthy church 10 months, 11 months, 10 years, 20 years down the road. You see, the problem for the Galatian church is that they took their eyes off the prize, and their prize was Jesus. And they said, okay, just Jesus isn't enough for us anymore, because that's, that's what these guys are telling us. Now we need something else. So, Asante Church, watch out. That's all I'm saying. Let's stay focused on Jesus. Let's love God. Let's love other people. Let's serve each other. Let's serve others. Then, we see an even further warning. We see in verse 17, Paul is saying, watch out. The Judaizers are trying to flatter you so that they can isolate you, so that they can exclude you, and so that you will flatter them back. He says to shut you out, and literally to shut you out means they are trying to exclude you. They are trying to set up an exclusive club of people that will follow the law and believe in Jesus, which makes absolutely nothing of the cross so that they can make much of themselves. Basically, what's happening in this region of Galatia is as soon as Paul goes in, sets up a church, preaches the gospel, people gather together, God grows his church, these Judaizers are sneaking in, and they're saying, hey, actually, I, we know what Paul said, but it's not just that. You have to do X, Y, Z, too. Paul is saying, watch out. We can see this today, all right? exactly what the Judaizers are doing in verse 17 is they are excluding people. This is textbook cult material right here. If you believe in a lie and you don't want people to get a hold of the truth, what do you need to do? You need to isolate them. You need to say everyone else outside, they don't know the real truth, and so we need you to know this truth, and you can't, you can't really be around those people anymore. And oh, when you need this done, okay, well now this person is going to take care of that for you. They completely seclude you and isolate you from your old network so that then you can become theirs and they blow you up and they tell you all these things that sound so good and they tickle your ears and it's just they make you feel so good so needed so wanted so the intern you can make much of them textbook cult practices here say alex how do you know so much about cults i listen to a lot of podcasts okay there's some weird ones out there, all right? Paul is saying, watch out. See, church, I think when you follow a lie, you're scared for people to learn the truth. But when you follow the truth, you live a life that exposes lies. And you live a life that is sent to be around people that are not following the truth so that you can expose those lies. We exist as a church to help people discover true life in Jesus please stop hanging out with Christians. Please go hang out with lost people. Please go spend time at a bar or wherever you need to to get around people that don't know Jesus. Why? Because they are living the lie. Why? Because you have the truth. Why? Because they are dying, and if they die and don't know Jesus, they will go to hell. Why? Because you have the gospel. 
you have the hope of Jesus and you carry that everywhere with you. I am not scared for you to be exposed to a lie because when you have the genuine article, when you have the real deal, you can spot a counterfeit every day of the week. So please, go tell somebody. Please live a life that expresses Christ inside of you. I am not scared for you to be exposed to any other doctrine, any other theology, because I know what is true, and I've experienced what is true. So, don't seclude yourself. This church will not seclude you. Go and live sent. Verse 18, what does it mean to be made much of for a good purpose? We see that they're building them up, and they're seeking just the same kind of compliments for themselves. We see an example of this. First Thessalonians 1, 2 through 9. You don't need to turn there. Just a quick example. We're actually not going to go to 9. We're going to go to 5. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul wants to build them up. He wants to remember them well for no benefit of his own but so that they may be made much of, so that they can continue to remember the gospel and live a life in the Spirit. In this church, for myself and for our leadership, I never want to sugarcoat things for you. I don't want to be passing out Skittles and M&Ms every Sunday morning, okay? It's not me. It's not what I'm going to do. If you want that, there's other churches for you. That's fine. I want to give you the truth. I want you to know that you're loved, but I want you to know that when I say something to you, I mean it. If I see sin in your life, I want to call it out because that's my job. As a shepherd, I'm going to make sure my sheep are okay. But I also want to encourage you. I want to love you. I want to live life beside you, but I don't want to encourage you in a way where you have to second guess, does he actually mean this? I want to make much of you so that you can continue to press on in the gospel, so that you can continue to press on in the Holy Spirit. Not so that you can say, oh, that's so nice. I like your haircut too. I don't want to give you a compliment so that you can compliment me back. I want to give you a compliment so that you can continue to press on living life for Jesus. I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up so that you can continue to press on, press on, press on towards the cross, not looking back. No empty praise. Certainly no manipulative praise. Asante Church. We end with this, Galatians four nineteen through 20. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So we see that Paul ends this thought, not this book. Some of you guys are like, we've been here six weeks. Well, we got four more. It'll be okay. I'm not sure, Coton. <laughs> he ends it with a conclusion, and that conclusion comes with a concern. Paul realizes, I may have a harsh tone, but it's out of a deep love and a deep care for you. You see, when you love somebody, you want what's best for them. 
I'm going to communicate differently to my girls if I see that they are walking into the house than if they are running out into the street. I'm going to communicate differently to my girls if we're hanging out wrestling, which we do a lot. It's really fun. They call themselves the Battle Sisters. They're undefeated right now. (laughs) I'm getting a little frail in my old age. Then if they talk back to their mom. They talk back to their mom. I'm going to sound a lot like Batman when I talk to him. Okay? They're going to start repenting right then and there. Paul is saying, I wish I could change my tone of voice to you because I love you, because I know what's best for you. And when you love somebody and you love Jesus, then you want others to grow in Jesus because you know that that is what is best for them. So Paul is calling out sin where he sees it. He's calling out false influence where he sees it. I think ultimately what's happening here is Paul is flipping out about one thing, and that is the influence of this outside party of the Judaizers. And I think for a lot of you that have kids, that are thinking about having kids, you worry and you rightfully are concerned about who has influence over them quite a bit. What are they watching? What are they listening to? What's on that screen that they're looking at? Then your kids grow up and they go to school and you start being concerned about the influence that maybe their teachers might have over them. Maybe a coach might have over them. You start being concerned big time about the kinds of kids that they're hanging out with. My mom could always tell growing up when I was hanging out with certain friend because I'd come home and I'd be talking like that friend. I'd go hang out with another friend the next day. I'd sound like them. She probably thought I was pretty bipolar. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I was. (laughs) We're so easily influenced. And I think just like parents, Paul is just as influenced for his church, for the church in Galatia. And I think we should be equally concerned with who has influence over us. See, as their spiritual leader in verse 20, we see that Paul wants to be present with them and he wants to get to the root of the issue. As a spiritual leader, whether that's of your workplace, whether that's of your household, whether that's of your friend group, whether that is of your marriage, whether it's of your family, your people's problems will perplex you. And they absolutely should. If you are a shepherd, you should smell like your sheep. You should be concerned about the things that are concerning your sheep. You should be having a watchful eye for the bears, for the wolves, for the lions, for the tigers that are on the prowl for your sheep. Because that means you care. It means you seek Jesus for them. It's one thing to be concerned about the influence over them. It's another to actually be concerned and perplexed, as Paul says, to the point of praying for them. And not just praying for them, but When you see a wrong, you point it out. The most loving thing you can do is to see sin in someone else's life and say, hey, this isn't who you are. Hey, I see you walking this way, looking back, when we need to be focused on Jesus and the cross in our lives. Let's get things back on track. The most unloving thing to do is to let it go on in apathy and silence and not address it. Because then they continue on in sin. Maybe not even just sin, but sin and disillusionment. So, seek Jesus for other people and step in with prayerful confrontation 
when it is needed. Close with a question this morning. Are we living out of the reality of our identity? Or, like the Galatians, are we going back to elementary things? Let's realize that we are loved. Let's realize that through the work of Jesus on a cross that we are saved. And let's realize that Jesus is it. Jesus is enough. We don't have to turn to anything else. We don't have to add anything else into the mix. Jesus wants Jesus for all. When you put your trust and your faith and your hope in him, it is by grace through faith that you are saved. Let's continue to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, keep us from looking back. Keep us from looking back at our past sins, our past selves. Keep us from looking back at the grave that you rose us up from as we put our faith in you. Jesus, help us to live out of who we are in you. Help us to know the reality of our identity. We are free. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We are sons, and we are daughters. For some of us in here this morning, maybe you are hearing that for the first time. Maybe for the first time you are hearing that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for you. Because he wants you to be made new. He wants you to be made clean. He wants you to be in right relationship through him. But you can't be because of the sin in your life. And you put your faith in Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sin. And you are washed clean. You are put in right relationship with God to follow after Jesus, to become more like Jesus. This morning, if you feel like God is calling you into relationship with him, we ask that you would boldly, confidently let us know. That you would write that, that you would check that box off on your Connect card, and that you would turn that into the little box on your way out so that we can walk alongside you as we figure out what that decision looks like in your life. And maybe for the rest of us, we've been living in Jesus for years. Jesus, this morning, would you help us remember how glad we were when we first received the Spirit? Would you refresh that excitement within us? Would you awaken it? Would you help us to live by the Holy Spirit? God, would you protect us from the harmful influence of others? Would you help us to truly appreciate being made much of if it is for your glory. And let us be perplexed by the issues, by the concerns of the people around us that you have put us in their lives so that we could help spiritually lead. And let us bring their concerns to you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.